Sentire Media. Hello everyone, you're listening to A History of Italy. Episode 90, Twilight of the Sardinian Judicates. Sardinia. The first thing that comes to mind when we pronounce the name of this Italian region are white sand beaches and crystal clear water. It is the place to go for Italians on a seaside holiday. Not often instead do we think about a history that is very unusual compared to other political organisations in Western Europe at the same time. Let's go through the history lightning quick up to where we want to get to. So, first of all, Romans. After the fall of the Western Roman Empire, the Vandals. Then, Byzantium takes it back from the Vandals in the 6th century. However, like other places in Italy, such as Naples, Apulia, Calabria, Venice and the area around Ravenna, which remained nominally under Byzantine control, the distance from Constantinople meant that these areas grew increasingly independent. Indeed, it's not known exactly when, but the island of Sardinia gradually passed from the Byzantine rule to that of the Judicates, also as a consequence of the increasing Saracen raids that started in the early 8th century, and which Byzantium had no power to protect the land from. It is more or less at the same time that the first traces of the Judicates appear. The first official mention of all four Judicates with respective rulers, however, doesn't show up until 1073 in a letter to the four judges of the island from Pope Gregory VII. At the start, the Byzantines would have held the executive and military power, leaving the administration of justice to local iudex, or judge. The theory is that when the executive and military power became vacant, these iudexes, or judges, or iudices in Sardinian, stepped in to fill the void, hence the judicates. The judicates were basically independent entities. There were four of them, pseudo-kingdoms, you might say. Gallura, in the northeast, Logudoro, in the northwest, also known as Torres, Arborea, in the central western side, and Calari, or Cagliari, in the south. The borders of the four judicates were fixed to a certain extent by natural borders, rivers and mountains and the coast, of course. The area at the centre where all four territories met was called the Barbaja. This was the internal wild and rugged mountainous area, and both the terrain and the sheep herding people there were difficult to govern, so the influence of the four judicates over this part of the land and its people varied. The judicates represent a very interesting example of alternative models of state to the feudal system or even to the communal system which they coincided with towards the end of both systems. 
Indeed, the Judicates were influenced by their Byzantine origins, but with some local peculiarities. They had rather modern organisation, in which the land was not owned by the sovereigns, but by the people who actually had a sort of early form of parliament, the Corona de Logu, when the rest of Europe would have scoffed at the idea. The land in general was called the Rennu, while the part of those lands belonging specifically to the judge and his family were the Peculiares. This distinction between the land ruled over by the sovereign and the land actually owned by the sovereign would not appear elsewhere in Europe until the modern monarchies of the 16th century. The ruler, the Giudice, ruled with the Banus, the consensus of the people that could actually be withdrawn, and it was the legal right of the Corona de Logu not only to depose a ruler who betrayed the trust of the people, but to also have him or her executed. I must specify, however, that when I say the trust of the people, as is usual in the case of human history, I mean the trust mostly of the rich people. Make no mistake, the rulers who were in full control of their judicate would really only have to answer to themselves, since the Byzantines to start with were too far off, and then the Pope, who was later seen as the overlord, was generally too ineffective. The poor did not live in a kind of utopia, but had many of the limitations on their freedom of movement that other peasants elsewhere had. The farmers in the four judicates had to work the land for their lord, called Donnu, for four out of the six working days, and the other two were free to work to support their families and to try and accumulate the wealth they needed to buy their freedom and become libertados. The leaders of the very smallest administrative units were called mayores, and above them were the curatores, These officials held office for a limited time and would oversee the collection of taxes, legal matters and public safety such as policing and firefighting. The curatores oversaw the curatoria, local districts, which also acted as electoral districts that would then send representatives to the higher proto-parliament of the judicate, which we mentioned, the Corona de Logu. The interesting thing was that the borders of these districts were not fixed, changing with the changing population. So, as one area grew in population, so would its borders. This maintained a balance also in the electoral system and can be seen as an early form of census units. With regard to land ownership, only the areas just outside the inhabited area were fenced off and considered private. The other areas, known as fondamentu, were public and could be used according to the needs of the community. As was the case in much of the medieval world, and perhaps even the world today, one of the main tasks of the ruler was to physically protect their subjects, so the military aspect was important. The regular troops were composed of free citizens, who would serve for a while and then be rotated out and substituted by others so that the work in the fields and the workshop wasn't left unattended. These troops, which usually made up the infantry, the 
birrudos were joined by the buyakesos, professional soldiers who were the Sardinian version of the Continental Knights. That's buyakesos. Sounds cool, doesn't it? The soldiers, as well as the usual sword, chain mail and helmet, had the formidable Sardinian birudu, a sort of mix between a cutting and throwing weapon similar to a javelin with a nasty curved blade on one end and a heavy metal point that could pierce armour or a shield on the other. So, now we've refreshed our memories about what the judicates were, let's get back to looking at their relationship with the outside world. The level of independence from Byzantium at the beginning ebbed and flowed, according also to the power of the Eastern Emperor to exert their influence over the island. We know, for example, that in the 720s, the Lombard king Liutprand, remember him way back at the beginning of the podcast, was negotiating directly with one of the judges to take the remains of St. Augustine to the mainland to keep it safe from raiding parties. A mission sent to Louis the Pious in the early 800s meant that the Judicates were also in good relations with the Franks. Another important piece of evidence is a letter from Pope Leo in 851 directly to one of the Judicates asking for help to defend Rome and for wool. It is with papal letters and diplomatic correspondence that we are able to reconstruct this part of the murky history of Sardinia since their own written documents didn't come along until later. We can be sure in any case that by the 10th and 11th centuries, the Judicates had become, at least de facto, fully independent. The tide of the fight against the Arab began to turn in the 11th century. Indeed, in 1016, Pisa and Genoa scored a major naval victory against the Saracens, and in the same period, Pope Benedict VIII assigned the island of Sardinia to the two cities as vassals. This is when a slow sort of colonization process started. First of all with religious orders, which would found monasteries and receive donations of land from the judges. Then these donations were made also to Genoese and more often Pisan noble families, who slowly started to extend their influence over the island. The last of the four judicates to succumb to this phenomenon was that of Arborea, on the western side of the island, away from the main trade routes. You may now be wondering if all four of these entities were just sort of off in their own corner, doing their own thing, or if there was ever any attempt at unifying the island. Well, there was. In 1146, for example, the judge at the time of Arborea, Barizone, called together what seems to be the only recording meeting of all four judges in Bonacardo in his own judicate. The other judges at the time were Constantine of Cagliari, Gonario of Torres or Logoduro, and Constantine of Gallura. They sure liked their Constantines at the time. Nothing much came out of the meeting, so then Barizone set off on his own little pet project to try to become king of all Sardinia. Now, 
if you want to be made king of something that had not had a king until that time, you're going to need to refer to someone higher than a king, i.e. a pope or an emperor. It just so happened that at the time there was a pretty successful emperor on the mainland, Frederick I Barbarossa, who had not yet had his wings clipped at the Battle of Legnano. Barbarossa said, King of Sardinia? Yeah, sure, I'll make you that. Just cough up 4,000 marks and we'll write out the documents. Now, Barizona didn't have the cash, but the Genoese did, and were more than happy to lend it to him, for a few concessions, of course. So it was that Judge Barizone of Arborea in 1164 was made Rex Sardinie. The only issues were, A, he wasn't actually there anymore, and B, there were other three judges who really weren't too keen on the idea. In the end, the Genoese felt it was more convenient to keep the little king there in Genoa, and it even got to the point where Barbarossa, who really didn't care either way, ended up declaring that the Republic of Genoa was the overlord of Sardinia, completely ignoring his previous concession to Barizone. He obviously knew which side his bread was buttered on. In any case, the situation on the ground of four separate judicates remained exactly the same. Meanwhile, the penetration of Pisa, thanks to land donations, was coupled with a cunning strategy of marriage alliances. So cunning, you could put a tail on it and call it a fox. The Pisans seemed to love these marriage alliances. The Massa family, for example, gained very influential positions in the judicate of Cagliari in the south. However, it was the Pisan branch of the Visconti family that really hit the jackpot when Lombardo Visconti became the judge of Gallura in 1206, the tippy-top job. There was one observer who looked at this marriage game and thought it was a brilliant idea, but he decided to take it one step further. When Adelasia of Torres or Logudoro became a widow in 1238, Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II swooped in and had her marry his son, Enzo. Not being content with using this marriage to claim the judicate, he decided Enzo was now king of all Sardinia. This was the second time someone who wasn't really king at all tried to declare himself king of Sardinia. We know very well that it didn't come out too much because the couple soon split up and the husband ended up a prisoner in Bologna after the Battle of Fossalto in 1248 and Frederick II then died in 1250. It was shortly after that, as we saw in the last episode, that Count Ugolino della Gerardesca, the cannibal count who most likely was not really a cannibal, got involved. Indeed, it was in 1253 that the judge of Cagliari, Chiano, an ally of Pisa, decided to switch sides and support Genoa. The reaction of the Visconti judge of Gallura, who was by then Giovanni Visconti, was not long in coming, and along with Count Ugolino and other allies, they defeated Chiano and split up the judicate of Cagliari among themselves. 
So, by the time we have reached the end of the 13th century, there was Sardinia, sitting there with around 300,000 inhabitants. The terrain was mountainous and rugged, so as far as food went, it was only just self-sustaining. Although it was interesting for its silver mines, sheepskins, sheep themselves, as well as salt. The four judicates continued to coexist, at times in peace, and at times thanks also to the meddling influences of Pisa and Genova fighting amongst each other. We have seen that there had been two rather weak attempts at unifying the island under a single kingdom, but those had really only been in the minds of those attempting to unify. However, now, at the end of the 13th century, a new element came in a foreign power. We have seen how the Aragonese had intervened to help the Sicilians to throw off the yoke of the Angevins and then installed themselves as monarchs on the island. But their influence in Italy did not stop there. Indeed, it was on the 4th of May 1297 that Pope Boniface VIII invested James II of Aragon as King of Sardinia and Corsica, thus unifying the island into a single kingdom. At first, it may have seemed just like another empty declaration, and indeed for 27 years, James II didn't really do much about it. However, as we will see in a later episode, in 1324, the Aragonese started the conquest of the island, and that would indeed be the end of the experience of the Judicates. If it's any consolation to you fans of Sardinia, it would be under Victor Emmanuel II, Prince of Piedmont, Duke of Savoy, Duke of Genoa, and King of Sardinia, that Italy would finally be united in 1861. Thank you so much to everyone for listening. Thanks in particular to my wonderful Patreon supporters, the Margarita Hack and Galileo Galilei level, Anthony G, Silane, Chanel, David L, Dean V, Eric W, Gordon Z, Greg, Ignacio, Jeffrey W, Old John in Milwaukee, Kevin, Marxist Leninist Sicilian, Neville, Patrizia Kappa, Peter W, Renee B, Roberta D, Rodney N, the Question Master, Rudy F, Scott L, Shelby, and Stephen, and the super tippy-top level, Maria Montessori and Dante Alighieri level, Sen, Paolo, Lisa K, JW, Andrew M, Brandon S, and Maxime. Thank you, thank you, one and all. Welcome aboard to the new supporters, Rocco, Anton, and Willie. Welcome aboard, guys. Lovely to have you. Remember, if you want, you can get in touch. Hello at ahistoryofitaly.com, where you can write to us with questions, comments, just to say hello, or share some deep insight into the meaning of life. At the same URL, ahistoryofitaly.com, you can click through to our social media. We are on Twitter and on Facebook, and also we've recently joined Instagram. Not quite sure what we're doing there at the moment, but anyway, we'll get the hang of that too. There on the website, you can also consult timelines, lists of rulers, and other information to help you navigate our country's complicated history. 
Once again, thanks very much to everyone for listening. And until next time, arrivederci. Well, well, look at you, King Barizone of Sardinia. Yes, fresh from my meeting with the Emperor. Very nice, very nice. Now, to get back to my kingdom. Uh, <clears throat> well, well, we have to sort out a few things first. Like what? Well, you know, there's that matter of the little loan. Oh, yeah. So, what do you want? Well, first of all, trading rights. Yes. We get all the trading rights. All of them? Yes. On what? On everything. Oh, everything. I don't know if I can do that. Oh, well, no worries. We'll just take back the 4,000 marks and you can find your own way home. No, no, don't get too hasty. Okay, okay, trading rights. Good, 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 good. So, that's sheep, silver, salt, slaves, cows, cloths, olives, wool, snails, kitchen sinks, bathroom sinks, ornate shrubberies, pottery, and everyone between the ages of 12 and 73 called Steve. Steve? Uh, or Stefano. Well, I suppose at least I have my land. Ah. Now what? My land? Well, you don't need all of it. I mean, what are you going to do with all that land? Can you imagine how hard it was to govern it? Well, I... Now, have a look at this lovely map I've drawn up. It's great, got colours and everything. Look, look, look at this bit. It's wonderful. So, we just want this bit. And this bit. And this bit. And this bit over here. And this bit. Uh, and this bit, of course, yes. I mean, you can't do that, that. And that bit, yes. Obviously, you have to put that. If you have that bit, you, you have to have that other bit as well. And this bit. And this bit. And this bit. And uh, finally, of course, this bit. Okay, so I have those two bits down here. Uh Oh, no, sorry. Those are our bits. So what do I get exactly? Here you go. This is a large tuft of dirt with some grass on it. Yes. Does this represent my part? What's the scale? No scale. That's it. We took all the trouble of bringing it over here for you, so you didn't even have to go over there. That That's it? That's my kingdom? A big lump of dirt? Where are my subjects supposed to live? Subjects? Well, they're already there. Where? Well... You have a good part of an ant colony there in the middle, and there's a slug somewhere. We called him Simon. Possibly also an earthworm. But this is unacceptable. Ah, but you have your own sheep. A lovely little sheep called Dorothy. Dorothy? Where is she supposed to graze? In this corner with the slug? Well, it's not 
really going to be a problem. What? Well, you know that lovely lunch you just had? Yes. Uh, that was her. No, I give up. Uh, yes, yes, that's, that's probably a good idea. I think it's better if we just take over everything now, so... Okay, thank you for coming, bye! Sentire Media Hey, podcast producers and show hosts. Do you want to join a podcast network that celebrates all things Italian? At Sentire Media, we understand the allure of Italy and its unique culture. Our devoted team of hosts and producers are all driven by their shared passion for Italy. And we work tirelessly to create the best lifestyle podcasts and content that will whisk you away to the very heart of Italy. With us, you can savor the mouth-watering flavors, get lost in the stories from the past, break down the cultural barriers, and truly immerse yourself in the vibrant traditions of this intoxicating country. If you have a great podcast idea or are already in production and would like to join Sentire Media, head over to sentiremedia.com, that's S-E-N-T-I-R-E media.com, and find out how to submit your show.